our scripture reading is from Ephesians. It's on uh, page 978 of your pew Bibles. But before we read God's word, if you will pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we come to your word because we know, we know it is where we find life. I ask that you would give us each a hunger and a thirst for your word, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our ears. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading is from is Ephesians verses 34, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 30 through chapter 5, verse 2. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of God for the people of God. If we were to describe something as being godlike, what would kind of come to mind for you? I mean, for, for me, the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge of God, to think of a God who um, knows every star among the billions of galaxies um, and, and who still knows the, the number of hairs on our head, I mean, just the knowledge of a God who could create this world and yet also know every possible outcome um, in addition to what actually will and has taken place. Or if we were to say godlike, maybe you would think of strength and power to execute your will, someone who can sovereignly declare what will be and make it happen, God who um, has the power to just do what he wants to do. Or maybe the idea, you know, not only his strength and his knowledge and his power, but um, his eternality, that he's been forever and he will be forever. There's, there's no death, there's no end, there's no beginning. These, these are all truly attributes of who God is. They describe accurately who God is, and yet they do not encompass all of what it means to be godlike. A few years ago, I volunteered and helped out um, timing races at the Special Olympics. Uh, I think it was at, at, at Brighton on the, the field there. And as I was watching um, people um, who physically were not going to perform athletic prowess like on an incredible level, um, as, as I watched people who um, had learning disabilities come and go through the races and, and perform, I, I was watching and was just strongly overcome with the courage and the, the effort and the strength, though um, the, the, the speeds were not impressive by, by human, you know, by standards of what we would look as this is a great race, it was still the effort put forward 
and the, the overcoming obstacles kind of was inspiring that someone who um, would have difficulty with mobility would still make the effort to give everything they had uh, to cross the finish line. And that, that competition was um, lifted me up. And, and then also, as I, as I saw people being sad that they lost, friends come alongside and show compassion and encouragement that, that you saw grace and, and love and, you know, being shown. It occurred to me that as I'm watching these people created in God's image with none of the things that I would normally think of being godlike, strength, power, resources, yet I saw what being godlike really is for all of us. All of us created in God's image are capable of showing the qualities of God, of love and compassion and kindness and courage, and endurance in the face of difficulties. All these things that, that inspire us and motivate us of, of, of all people was shown in their weakness. And it was eye-opening to me of what does it mean to be made in the image of God? When we look at strength and power, we see a God who has these, yes, but he shows himself to us on the cross, in weakness, and death, and suffering, and coming alongside us in our sorrow, and humbling himself rather than um, remaining exalted. His humility and his grace are the things that are also like God. And so, if we look back at the story of the fall, Adam and Eve in the garden, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil before them being forbidden, what, what they're told is by the devil, by the serpent, by the deceiver, eat this and you will be like God. Now, I've said many times, you've probably heard me say that that is our temptation, is always to be as God. We want to be our own Lord. We want to make our own rules. We want to set ourselves above others and be in judgment and decide we will do what we desire to do. We will not submit to God's law. And so part of that temptation to be like God is sinful. And yet, in the New Testament, we see this invitation to follow and imitate Christ. We see that he came to make us like himself. God became man so that he may, might make men like God. But the way that we see that is wrong if we see it as having power and strength and and ability to um, dominate and decide for ourselves what we will do. We see it clearly here what it means to be godlike, to imitate Him, to be like God is to be kind and loving and gracious and patient and generous, forgiving. For all those things are what God is as, as we preach through these things. And I realize how often what we're told to do is to be like God in his character, not just his power. And, and, and so here is the wonderful thing we see in Christ, the overturning of the fall is not just forgiving us of our sin and bringing us into the family, but it is giving what we were grasping for. We grasp to be like God, and he says, come, be like me, imitate me. So here we see 
this, this litany of vices to shun and virtues to emulate, emulate uh, as we see through here, over and over, the idea is that we are in this new life, we're in this new family we've been brought in, and the essence of what it is to, to live a Christian life, to live in the Spirit, to walk in the light, to walk in love, the essence of all of that is to be like your Heavenly Father, to be like His Son, Jesus, to let God's character and personality shine through your life, to be like um, God. So we're told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Part of what he's saying there is that our, um, the times that we are um, not getting along, that we're not showing peace with one another, the times that we are being angry and showing bitterness and clamor, and when we're talking in ways to stir up gossip and disrupt the relationships we have with one another, with our families, with our friends, with, with all these connections that we have, that there's a sense of which that, that is grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, parents, you, you, you know what it's like when children are at each other's throats. And you just wish there were peace. And, and the joy of the, the moments, rarer in some families than others, when the families are getting along. I mean, there, there's, isn't there a joy when you go in and you see your children playing together? Uh, you, you just love it. And then when there's the, he's touching me, he's touching me. I mean, sorry for the aside, but Keelan had imaginary friends. Before we had a brother, we had fights with imaginary friends. I mean, they were grieving me. There was clamor. I mean, I had to talk to imaginary friends and tell them to stop touching Keelan. I made Keelan cry one time because I put an imaginary friend out on the side of the road. So, but it grieves. Have you ever had when two friends you dearly love at each other's throats? They can't see uh, how both of them are, are just seeing things different. And the, 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 the pain when you are between two people who are, that you dearly love and, and can see both sides when they're at, at odds with each other, the grief that that puts the Holy Spirit. And, and it's not just that he's kind of this third party, but don't you see that the Holy Spirit is the gift that has been given to us. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit. In our baptism, it, it shows that the, the Spirit has washed over us, has come into our life. And so all the good that we do is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're being guided by the Spirit, speaking through His Word, forming us in the sacraments, being in our midst as we worship and, and as we live life together. And so for us to follow Christ, to have the power of the Holy Spirit, to have all the resources we need at our, at, behind us, leading us to be people who are forgiving and loving and kind, what grief it is for you to say, no interest in that. I'm going to hold on to this sin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show my anger. I'm going to let my anger just fume and build up rather than coming to the Spirit who is a Spirit of peace that gives us the ability to forgive and to walk in kindness 
that, that we neglect the Spirit, that we say, yes, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I want that forgiveness. I want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But then to reject the Spirit when we have all the resources to turn from temptation, to enable us to love one another as Christ loved us, what grief it is to say, I don't want you for that. Yeah, comfort me when I'm sad, but don't strengthen me to forgive another. Don't empower me to comfort others. Just be there for me. Give me gifts. Let me, let me boast in the gifts that the Spirit gives me, but not use the Spirit to strengthen me to turn uh, from ways that build up um, tension and conflict and bitterness and wrath. He is our power. And so, um, rather than grieving, we are kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, again, reminding us that we do so because Christ, uh, in God, God in Christ forgives us. And we're not called to do anything other than what we've received. We're not called to live in any other way other than the God who has redeemed us. And so we put that on, and that's the way we live. I... I I want us to have firm commitment. I think every Christian needs a firm commitment to the truth. We, we need to, we're going to say the Nicene Creed in a moment. We need to say the creeds and, and hold to what we believe with um, all conviction. That not something we just kind of pass over by rote, but we, we, we base our lives on those truths. I, 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 my, your heart should swell at the thought of some of the thoughts of who God is. We need to be theologically sound. We need to teach our children the, all the essence of the faith. But if that leads us into a bitterness with people who disagree with us, if that leads us to a self-righteousness and a boastful attitude, if that puffs us up that we just think we are the knowledgeable ones and the others are second rate, we've missed it. Because all of those truths about God and who Jesus is and what he has done for us, the, the depths of what it means to be chosen before the foundation of this, all of that should lead to being more gracious with others, to be more ready to forgive, to be more ready to see the sin in my own heart before I see it in a brother or sister's heart. That we, we should, all of this leading us into a life of kindness and tenderheartedness. To imitate the God that we know. We need to know him. We need to know the Bible. We need to know him. But it, if it's not leading us into imitation of a humble and forgiving and gracious God, we've missed it. That we are to be like our Father as beloved children. Verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. You're not imitating God who's like some celebrity that you'll never meet. You're imitating your father. I um, um, One of Robin's cousins um, was talking to me one time, and he said he would, he would look out on his son. Uh, they farmed. They worked together. He said, there were times I would look at my son, and he would do something really stupid. He said, and I would think to myself, well, it's the whole nature-nurture thing. Do you get it by your genes? Do you get it by your shaping? He said, you know, I think to myself, is this because of genetics? He's just got the nature of doing something dumb. Or is it because he has, you know, nurture. He hasn't been shaped by it. 
And he said, I realized I'm responsible either way. It's my fault he's acting like that. <laughs> because children naturally imitate their parents. They, they, you, you live and you, you start to do things, I mean, um, like those you're following and, and who are, have such an impact on your life. And so if you have a relationship with your father, you ought to imitate him. You will imitate him. You will walk in the love that has been given to you, not just so that you can be forgiven, not just so that you can be in a relationship with God, but so that you can walk in love with all those he loves and with those who he is in connection with. Imitating Christ who gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And continually, the power to live is the power of the gospel. We see Christ who died for sinners, for people who did not deserve it, so that we can be forgiven and go and live like him. And I love that it refers to him as a fragrant offering. It took about my third or fourth reading through the Old Testament to realize all those feasts, all those sacrifices that were offered at the temple, it's kind of like a big barbecue. I mean, the more I read it, the more I realized, oh, you're bringing lambs, you're bringing cows, you're slaughtering them there so that it's fresh, you're throwing them on, and they're burning, and you're smelling like a barbecue. You have the coals, you, you have the fire and the, the meat, and you know that's got to be smelling good. I mean, just, you know, the, the joy you have when you wake up and you're greeted with bacon. I mean, it's a good day, <laughs> bacon. I'm getting a nod. I was expecting an amen, Stephen. <laughs> you, you walk home, you know, you do a roast and you walk in and you just smell it. Is, I mean, you just, you're anticipating and it's, it's so satisfying just to have the aroma fill the house. That's what he's saying, God, that, that that's what God is like receiving the sacrifice of Christ. It's, it's a fragrant aroma. It's a satisfaction. It's a, a joy and a delight. And that when you forgive someone, when you reach out in kindness to someone who's struggling, when you are the one to make peace with someone you're at odds with, when you, rather than saying that person is always like that and start putting motives to them, deal gently with things and let insults pass off and that you are the one striving for peace when you're tamping down gossip, when you're trying to make for peace in a community and with loved ones and in your family, you in some way are imitating that sacrifice that put away the wrath of God, brought him satisfaction, and rather than grief, brings him delight. The same delight when you see joy of, of, of ones you love living in peace. Let us live in a way that imitates Christ's sacrifice and brings him joy and brings him delight.